Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, Bill Cannon, a retired 27-year veteran of the NYPD. A lot of stuff going on, and what's really sort of hijacked the whole news uh, feed is uh, Russia, of course, invading Ukraine. I don't know if anyone uh, last night watched the State of the Union address. Of course, he um, touched upon that. It's not clear um, politically how much countries are willing to get involved to uh, support Ukraine. It seems like they give a lot of lip service to it. But however, there's there's many moves they could take politically, economically, that they've been very um, resistant to doing. Just recently, I think uh, President Biden said that they're going to uh, close the airspace uh, to Russian planes. And that probably should have been done much sooner than later. You know, when you look at some of the faces of this war, it's so heartbreaking. There's two young girls that are caught up in this uh, this war. And it's just it, hitting civilian targets is just a horror show. Um, one of the things that, from according to the New York Times, there was no sign of possible de-escalation on the sixth day of the invasion, as Russians appeared determined to toughen its tactics against a defiant neighbor. I mean, these people are tough. You know, you see some of these pictures on the screen. Um, the uh, brushing aside international outrage, Russia widened its assault deep inside Ukraine on Tuesday, bombing civilian areas in the two biggest cities, amassing a miles-long convoy near the capital's doorstep and warning an outside world intent on economic reprisals not to go too far. Here's, here's Russia threatening the rest of the world, like don't go too far in economic reprisals like are you kidding me you just invaded a country and you're you're threatening other countries not to get involved in economic reprisals it, it's just incredible um the the russian attacks uh, hit a hospital in kharkiv the second consecutive day of lethal russian strikes on an eastern city's civilian population and a deadly blast struck a broadcasting tower in the capital Kiev, knocking out television and radio stations, a famous Holocaust memorial nearby sustained damage. So that's de definitely part of their strategy is to knock out uh, the means of communication. So the outside world can't be hearing and seeing the, the, uh, the atrocities that the Russian army is doing. And, and uh, part of this too is that we're hearing a lot that many of the Russian soldiers aren't uh, down with this war they're like uh they're forced to to do it these people some of them are related to them it's like they're attacking a country that is their neighbor and this seems to be uh vladimir putin's dream to reconsolidate russia uh pre-2008 when uh the soviet union more or less collapsed on the screen, these are some of the cities that uh, Russians uh, have attacked. Uh, I can't even pronounce most of them, but you can see they're attacking civilian targets. There's a building that uh, civilian uh, apartment buildings are being attacked. It's just horrendous. This is the, the face of war. We talk about um, you know civilians and civilian targets and the devastation. We can't even imagine something like this. Uh, in our country, in the United States, the closest I think we ever got to it was 9-11 when the um, terrorists hit the towers. And that was the closest I think we came to 
feeling and realizing what war could be like. Um, the escalation of this war came amid rumors in Moscow and other Russian cities that the government might increase conscription to bolster its troop strength in Ukraine, where a surprising defiant resistance appears to have frustrated Kremlin expectations to a quick victory. Now the conflict in Ukraine looks as if it might become a more drawn-out fight that could plunge Europe into its worst refugee crisis of the century as hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians seek safety elsewhere. Could you imagine? I mean, these people uh, try to get out of the area, too, when uh, thousands of cars um, are trying to leave at the same time. Um, it's uh, Here we have um, Volodymyr Zelensky and Vladimir Putin on the screen. Uh, Volodymyr has uh, turned out to be quite a hero to the people of the Ukraine, standing up to the Russians. But you know something? Ukrainians are not going to be able to stand up to the Russians for very long. On the screen right now, you see a 40-mile-long convoy of Russians, uh, Russian soldiers, Russian tanks, Russian vehicles heading towards Ukraine. However, that has not been without problems either. Uh, you know, there's, there's reports that the Russians are running out of fuel. They're running out of supplies. They don't have food for their sh soldiers. So it's really... Uh, Clearly not a um, a win-win for the for for Vladimir Putin and Moscow. It it seems like it's a um, in fact it's it's a mess. It's really a mess right now. I'm going to play a little file tape right now. Uh, they're talking about Vladimir Putin's mental state and uh, whether he's you know someone might question if you invade another country what your mental state is. It is anyway, but let's let's hear this. And angry with the pace of his assault on Ukraine. The worry for Washington, is he acting rationally? And will he ramp up the violence against Ukraine's citizens? There is no new intelligence on his mental state. But U.S. officials say everyone, including President Biden, sees an angrier Putin, increasingly detached from reality in his speeches, isolated from longtime advisors, rarely coming into the Kremlin, and when he does, meeting on opposite ends of a supersized table, more than 20 feet apart. That, I think, cr creates this kind of delusional bubble about what he thought was going to happen when he first launched this attack. Officials tell NBC News Putin has lashed out at underlings in private and in public bullied his top spy on state TV. <inaudible> Say it directly, he said. What do you think is going on there? I don't know what is the matter there, but whatever it is, the people of Ukraine are paying the price for it. Now he's raising the stakes for U.S. military planners by putting Russia's nuclear forces on heightened alert. You don't want uh, a madman backed into a corner with nothing to lose, especially if that madman has nuclear weapons. With the Russian economy collapsing under the weight of global sanctions and some of his own oligarchs even criticizing the invasion, what might he do to stay in power? He can threaten or carry out cyber attacks against the West, including the United States, and he can threaten uh, to use uh, uh, battlefield nuclear weapons. U.S. officials say President Biden is deliberately downplaying Putin's nuclear threats and not raising the alert status of U.S. nuclear weapons, trying to de-escalate a crisis with an unpredictable enemy. You know, I don't think that uh, the American people, as much as we uh, are backing um, Zelensky uh, and the Ukrainian people, I don't think the um, 
American people would back U.S. troops on the ground in Ukraine. Uh, this could be uh, this could be a World War Three, you know. And I think that we've on the heels of us leaving eighty billion dollars worth of equipment in Afghanistan. I think the American people are tired of war, and they're tired of politicians, and they're they're talking about freedom and this, that, and the other thing while they just screw over the taxpayer by leaving eighty billion dollars worth of equipment. It's just, um, it's. I don't think the people are going to fall for it this time. You know, we we were after nine eleven, we were at war for over twenty years, and you talk about the cost, the billions and billions of dollars in taxpayer dollars as well as the lives lost in this and what um what did we gain for the war from the war in afghanistan you may say that by occupying afghanistan we kept us safer in the united states by keeping terrorism at bay but i don't know if it's that that's true i'm going to start just play a little bit of last night's um state of the union um address um, just that, you know, it was very partisan. Of course, almost all of these, the Republicans uh, are against what the Democrats say. And if the Republicans are in power, the Democrats are against what the Republicans say. Let's just play a little bit of this. Uh, from what I heard, I didn't watch it because I was on the air last night live during the um, State of the Union. To my uh, dismay, I should have probably waited or did it at a different time. But I challenged the State of the Union address, and I lost. So uh, here's partly what he had to say. The United States Department of Justice is assembling a dedicated task force to go after the crimes of the Russian oligarchs. We're joining with European allies to find and seize their yachts, their luxury apartments, their private jets. We're coming for you, ill-begotten gains. And tonight, I'm announcing that we will join our allies in closing off American airspace to all Russian flights, further isolating Russia and adding additional squeeze on their economy. The president forcefully condemned Vladimir Putin, say that, saying this is Putin's war, saying it is premeditated, totally unprovoked, and a mistake of historic proportions. He said that Putin effectively had miscalculated here. I think, though, for some of the president's critics, those who wanted a bit more on this issue, the speech was as much a state of Ukraine as it was a state of the union. He didn't really explain why Americans should care about this issue in uh, in the details that some may have wanted. Nonetheless, he did view this as the most unifying message, not just for the country, but for the world right now and one that he wanted to hit home. Yeah, and Peter, such a good point there about not explaining it because of the repercussions that we feel at home and making people understand why we're going to have to go through that in order to help this country and, and why we're in this fight and what it means to us. Peter, you just touched on this with Putin. Ali, let's bring you in here and talk a little bit more about what President Biden did have to say specifically about President Putin. Yeah, Savannah, effectively saying that Putin miscalculated if he expected the U.S. and its Western allies to not be aligned against him. Listen to how he put it last night in the chamber. Putin's latest attack on Ukraine was premeditated and totally unprovoked. He rejected repeated, repeated efforts at diplomacy. He thought the West and NATO wouldn't respond. He thought he could divide us at home in this chamber, in this nation. He thought he could divide us in Europe as well. But Putin was wrong. 
Look, calling Putin wrong there in the same room where the Ukrainian ambassador to the United States was a guest of the First Lady, Jill Biden, standing in that chamber. We saw her as one of the central figures there last night. But there are two pieces to this, too. You guys are talking, I think, rightly so, about how he wasn't selling this conflict to Americans in terms of why they should care about what's happening in Ukraine. But what he did do, I thought quite diligently, was make clear that U.S. forces were not going to be fighting on the ground in Ukraine. He talked instead about bolstering and standing with our NATO allies. Of course, that has been the centerpiece of Biden and the administration's response, one that many lawmakers on the Hill, when I talked to them in the halls of Congress, that's a response and a strategy that they have praised repeatedly from the White House. I do think the other thing here, as he laid out a few of those new metrics of what the United States is going to do to further isolate Russia, things like announcing that task force to go after oligarchs for the yachts and the paintings, that's something that Senator Lindsey Graham has been talking about for about two weeks now. So as Congress now starts to figure out what its potential role could be, voting on roughly six, $6 billion of aid that will go to Ukraine, both military and humanitarian in nature, and a supplemental. That's a piece of this. But there are also other things that Congress has been responding to over the course of the last few weeks. That task force for oligarchs, just one of them. Peter, the president had to make that tough turn. Talk about it. You know, when the, the American people uh, are sort of not listening to, you know, a task force for oligarchs, what they care about is the price of bread and milk and gasoline at the pumps. And this definitely has a detrimental effect on that because, uh, of course, here we are, Used to we used to be a, couple, a year or two ago, we were energy independent, and now we're, in fact, buying uh, oil from Russia. So he's talking about taking, you know, what American citizen gives a damn about that when their, their paycheck is stretched so much that they can't afford, uh, they can't afford things, they can't afford to heat their homes. They can't afford to put gasoline in their cars, and they're talking about Russian oligarchs. Like, is that really important to me? Is that important to the average taxpayer that they're going to put a task? It's all smoke. It's smoke and mirrors. It's just, it's really nonsensical. And here we have a 40-mile uh, convoy, 40-miles-long convoy of Russian military heading towards Ukraine. I mean, what's wrong with that picture? Why? I guess Ukraine doesn't have an air force that could take out that column. I mean, God, that's crazy. You know, and where is the air superiority that we talk about the Russians? Is there something wrong that they don't have enough air force or jets? I mean, or are they calculating how they attack Ukraine? I don't think they really care about that. I think it's economic. I don't think they have the money. When you hear that, Tanks and trucks in this convoy are running out of gasoline. That's a pathetic sign. And then, of course, you have the Ukrainians who are fighting back. And, you know, when you want to uh, rah-rah nationalism and wave the flag and everything, but it's just a matter of time before Russia takes over the Ukraine. It's just a matter of time. Is it days? Is it weeks? The Ukrainians can't fight forever. They don't have a military that can go up against the Russian military. They don't have the economic wherewithal, nor do they have the personnel. You know, there's so much uh, you can get your citizenry to join join up and fight against the Russians. However, it's, you know, it's, it's been described as David and Goliath, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, Goliath being the Russian military machine 
and and David being the citizenry of uh, of the Ukraine, you know, trying to take on this huge, this huge, huge, huge military machine. And there's a little uh, example of that by uh, the nuclear power plant. I'm going to share this on the screen where Ukrainians uh, stood up to the Russian next. military. What what it. Nigel Farage, former yeah. Brexit party leader. Nigel, great to have you. It is the question, right? Sorry, folks. I, I want to go back. Okay. I'm sorry, folks. A little technical difficulties here. I'll be ready to share the screen now. Here we go. Uh, showing workers at, at a nuclear power plant standing up to the Russian military. Nigel Farage, former yeah. Brexit party leader. Nigel, great to have you. It I'm is the, the question problem, right now. Should NATO be doing more? And, and we'll talk so, about this. What should they be doing? If so, what should they be doing? Well, the obvious thing, of course, would be aircraft. You know, NATO have got state-of-the-art aircraft, uh, great squadrons. Uh, we could, if we chose, we could go in, take out that column, just as we did in Basra back in the Iraq war. It is there. It's a sitting duck. It's perfectly clear that the Ukrainians do not have the air strength to do it. But, and here's the problem, let's not delude ourselves. This is the biggest and most serious crisis the world has faced since the Cuban Missile Crisis nearly 60 years ago. And, you know, when we had mutually assured destruction between nuclear powers, MAD, as it was called, the point was that both sides thought the other side was rational. The worry now is that if NATO gets itself directly involved in open warfare with Putin's nuclear-powered Russia, how will he respond? And that is why NATO, for the moment, is doing nothing. It's fear. And, and for me, I have to say, emotionally, I feel we should be doing a lot more. You know, I think the Ukrainian people, I think their leader, have shown terrific bravery. I mean, the way in which they talk about standing up for their liberty, their freedoms, their country, their independence. I mean, the shades of Winston Churchill in 1940 in what they're saying. Uh, and, you know, young men coming forward, volunteering, taking women and children to safety. It's very admirable. Emotionally, I want us to get involved. But when you think about it, it is one hell of a risk. Yeah. You know, folks, that's the thing, too. You talk about even um, corporations, you know, like Apple and uh, all these major American companies, Ford, and they're all intertwined in business with these, um, with Russia. You know, and they don't want to, um, they don't want to lose their, their economic clout with these countries. So how far do they go? You know, how far do they go with uh, getting involved in this? You know, NATO, you could see, they don't want to get militarily involved. Um, they're getting economically involved. They're giving supplies. They're uh, supplying weapons. However, they do not want to get uh involved in a military thing where, you know, already Vladimir Putin has uh, sort of rattled the sabers in saying that, um, you know, we're going to uh, put on nuclear 
uh, plan on alert. The, the military conflict uh, proper is going to be very, very uh, difficult, long for the Russians, by which I mean, even if the Russian forces are able to take cities like Kyiv, by which I mean occupy the government buildings, take uh, control of the, the headquarters of the security services, every Russian tank, every time it turns a corner, goes down a street, uh, is going to face the prospect of a Molotov cocktail, of perhaps a rocket-launched uh, uh, grenade, something or the other that represents exactly what you're describing, which is the indomitable will of the Ukrainian people not to be conquered. And that is a very, very difficult pro uh, process. I mean, even with, in situations where you have had less impressive displays of nationalism and will, it's hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, the United States knows how hard it is. Now, Ukraine is a flat country. There are no mountains and caves. But occupying cities is very hard. What you will see is urban resistance and urban warfare, which can be very bloody. And again, my fear about mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin is that his answer to this will be to level whole buildings, level whole blocks. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, this is a situation where you could imagine, mm -hmm. alas, that it can get much, much worse than 2,000 civilian yeah. casualties. Although that will rely on Russian cons conscripts, 12 much Russian conscripts who are willing to pull the trigger on their Ukrainian brothers and sisters if Vladimir Putin orders it. You mentioned, Fareed, and this is something that people don't necessarily like talking about when when everyone in the world wants to stand up to a degree to Vladimir Putin, but off ramps. How do you give him a way out of this? Look, we ha the, the strategy has to be that you are as tough as you need to be, and you make it absolutely clear, as I've said, that the Russian bayonet will meet a brick wall. On the other hand, there has to be a way to climb down. Every most wars end with some kind of brokered solution. Uh, and the Ukrainian president understands that. The Ukrainians are negotiating right now in, in Belarus. And, and so as I, I think at some point, the Secretary of State uh, should get involved, perhaps Emmanuel Macron, to say, look, we are not going to allow this uh, aggression to stand, but we still remain willing to talk about security and stability in Europe. I don't know if that's enough for Vladimir Putin, but we do know one thing, John, which is he totally controls the media space in Russia. So if he wants to climb down in some way, it is not as hard for him as a elected Western Democratic leader with a free press. If Vladimir Putin says he achieved his objectives in, in Ukraine, every Russian television news anchor and commentator will say exactly that and praise him for that. You know, folks, uh, that's one of the things that the Russians, of course, want to control is the information that gets out, the media that gets out, the public relations war, because right now, I think the people of Ukraine and the president of Ukraine are winning this war. And when you talk about a world now that's interconnected by the internet, it's very difficult for someone like Putin to control the information that gets out. And it's just a horrendous situation that you know uh if you saw the um on the screen before it said over 2000 ukrainian civilians have already been killed and i mean that's that's just going to rise up and the other thing is is that um as i said if there's no military help from nato if there's no 
troops coming from anywhere else. Russia is going to march right into Ukraine. As much as the bluster comes from um, the Ukrainian President Zelensky, he's not going to be able to hold on. In fact, one of the biggest targets for Putin is President Zelensky. And they're looking to take him out, you know, and believe me, they will if they find where he is. And, you know, when when you see him going on TV or, uh, in fact, using his cell phone, that's a pretty dangerous act. Um, it's very dangerous because they could find him. You know, obviously, it, uh, cell phones hit cell towers and they can pinpoint where he is and specifically target him. And that would be a huge blow for the Ukrainian people because he's rallying um, the nationalism. He's uh, rallying the pride of Ukrainians to fight against the Russians. You know, the other thing is, which is a humanitarian uh, disaster is that uh, hundreds of thousands of refugees now are fleeing into different parts of Europe. And how long can they, uh, can Europe take these folks in? Uh, how long till till uh, the European countries get tired of taking these uh, folks in, or they can no longer uh, no longer take the, these folks in? So that that's a big thing too. Is that um, humanitarian crisis? How do we get them food? How do we get them water? How how do we get them shelter? Uh, that's a huge a huge thing also, and um, it all has to be considered. It's easy. Um, it's easy for people to say, oh, you know, it's uh, we're going to fight the Russians, but the Russians are quite, quite powerful. And um, people are going to get tired of this, of this war. They're going to get tired of um, the bloodshed. And as I said, uh, they had uh, some negotiations the other day in Belarus, I think a day after um, Russian troops invaded. However, how serious were they? Were they there to talk peace or were they there to talk surrender? I don't believe that that Russia is sincere about peace talks. How can you be invading a country and at the same time talking peace? I'm not saying that the Ukrainians shouldn't sit down and speak to the Russians. However, actions speak much louder than words. And as they invade the country in, at all different places, all different ports. You can see all the different cities that um, up on the screen that the Russians have already attacked, and at the same time they're trying to uh, they're trying to talk peace. It doesn't seem consistent with what is actually going on on the ground. And while all of this is going on, people are. Uh, fleeing the country, they're living in subway systems, they're living in bomb shelters because it's it's a disgrace over there right now. And we don't know at what level uh, NATO will get involved. Uh, maybe NATO will get involved in the, in the peace negotiations. We saw that the UN is totally ineffective uh, in regards to these things. Uh, you know, in fact, Russia was voting on on a UN resolution, they had one of the most powerful votes. How ridiculous is that? When the aggressor, Arrakis Mudib, yes, Putin is a dictator just like Hitler was. He's he's very scary, uh, absolutely. Um, 
uh, folks in the chat, I want to thank you guys for coming by today. This is Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. I thought I would just um, weigh in on uh, happenings overnight, weigh in on what's going on in the Ukraine. And um, thank you, people, for supporting Police Off the Cuff Real Crime Stories. Um, there's a lot going on in the world, and it's always good to uh, to get information and to hear it from a, maybe a different perspective even though this isn't specifically about crime and um, about uh, police work from a police perspective, this affects the entire world and affects us and has a, uh, a domino effect in regards to what's going on in the world and what's going on in our country. And to see how we and everyone else responds to this. So folks, I just want to wish everyone a, a happy day, a safe day. And uh, we'll, we'll be in touch. Thank you so much for listening. One episode just ain't enough.